Hey guys, welcome to this uh, week's episode of the podcast. Hopefully it's going to be a uh, collection or series of craft distilleries in the areas. Uh, Just interviews with them, learn how they got started and how they're looking to go forward. This week, I brought on the Blonde Brothers because personally, everybody knows I'm an MGP whore and uh, they're putting out some of the best MGP you can find right now, so... It was really nice to sit down. I've been to their distillery before. They're very welcoming and very open, sort of like I said in the podcast. It reminds me a lot of Smooth Ambler when they were uh, just starting out as far as size-wise. I mean, Smooth Ambler has maintained their their family atmosphere even as they've gotten larger. But <clears throat> this place is similar to it in size when they got started, whereas they have basically one one rick house which is a storage room basically and that's where they have all their whiskey whereas when smooth ambler started out they had a couple of uh uh, warehouses out back so they were a little bit larger but similar in their scope so it was really nice to sit down with mike and matt and just learn a little bit more about their history and uh where what each one of them does for the distillery and where they're looking to go. Um, it was interesting that they want to be local and they want to keep it semi-local, uh, regional, which is a good idea for the size of their uh, their uh, project they're doing. Their setup is not really big enough for uh, wide distribution, but it's, it's a really nice setup, and they're both really, really nice guys. It was a fun interview to do. And I look forward to uh, seeing what they do in the future. And like they said, if you wanna if you wanna check them out, they've got a Facebook page, Blom Brothers Distillery, um, and they're located in Glen, Illinois, which is in the middle of nowhere, uh, much like Smooth Ambler is in West Virginia. It's you gotta want to be there, and it's a cool distillery, and it's got a lot of really nice people there. And <clears throat> like they said, they've got a uh, Glen, I think it was Glen, Illinois bourbon tasting thing that's coming up i'm sure if you follow them on facebook uh just keep an eye out for that because the way they were talking that might be something anybody in the area would want to check out so i hope you all enjoy this week's episode and uh see you next week Welcome to the Bourbon Boys. I'm here live at the Blom Brothers Distillery, um, and I just want to introduce you all to Matt and Mike. Uh, say hi, Matt. Hi. And Mike. Howdy. <laughs> we're gonna hear. We're gonna sit here and talk. Hopefully, this is the the beginning of a new series of craft distilleries in Illinois and Wisconsin. If I can get the other ones on board with me, but uh, just now that we've to, done it, they're all gonna come. Exactly. Running. <laughs> they're gonna hear this and be coming running or, run, or running board. away. <laughs> so. Matt, what made you all decide? I saw on your website the reason you started the distillery is because drinking whiskey was the only way you could get to get get along. Is that the truth? Uh, <laughs> maybe. No, I mean it was. We both. It was just two of us growing up. There was uh, we didn't have any other siblings. We kind of wish our parents had had a couple more. We could use some more help here. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish we'd had a couple more brothers. But uh, 
it was just the two of us. So we've always been close, but then we both went different ways with school and careers and things like that. And, but one thing we were always kind of getting together on was drinking a bottle of whiskey. And every time we saw each other, we'd you know share a bottle with each other. We'd send bottles to each other. Even though he was, you know, across the country or across the world and I was a different place, we'd, you know, tell each other about different bottles we were trying. So it just kind of became a common thing for us. Um, so ultimately, you know, that's kind of what got us to this point was we um, didn't have the same career paths, but we both loved whiskey. So that's What's your age difference? Two and a half years. Yeah, two and a half years. I got a brother, too. We're seven years different. So. Yeah. He used to beat my ass continuously. We didn't get into whiskey until recently, so we didn't have the same uh, benefactor. Right, right. <laughs> so, first first whiskey you ever had? Oh, shit. First one I ever, I ever liked or ever well, had? What are, which are one you want to tell us about? Both, if you want. Hmm. Oh, hell. First uh, whiskey, I don't know. Jack Daniels probably the first one most people ever yeah, tried. It's probably right. one of, yeah, probably the first one, I mean... You know, as a young pup, probably had, you know, before the legal age. But I think, honestly, oddly enough, we, both of us really got into scotch before we got into bourbon, yeah. which is usually the opposite. People yeah. get into bourbon, then maybe get into scotch. We were both into scotch. I think the first uh, first one that sticks out is something that really kind of got me. It was not anything super special. It was McCallum 12-year-old. Yeah. It was just, you know, that was... Probably the one of the first ones I had that kind of was like, oh, I could get into this. Um, when it comes to bourbon, I don't even remember what the first bourbon I had was. Yeah. You remember? Uh, no. <laughs> I really don't. I, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I kind of think about my first scotch. I remember uh, Aberlauer Abunad was like that first special mm-hmm. occasion bottle I bought back uh, when I was starting to get into it. That was a hefty $60. So mm-hmm. It was a lot of money. You'd be amazed. And most of the people I ask that question to, you get Maker's Mark or yeah. something standard they used to drink when they were kids, basically kids. Yeah. I think when, Drinking age, of course. Yeah. I think when I kind of started to make the transition from scotch to bourbon, um, you know, it was the Buffalo Trace, the Four Roses, you know, small and single. But honestly, one of them that I used to drink when I lived in the Chicago suburbs mm-hmm. that was wildly available everywhere you went was Elmer T. Lee. Mm-hmm. It was on the shelves everywhere. I used to pick it up you know all the time i've got a bunch of them now but you know you just can't find them anymore but yeah. back then that was one i kind of gravitated towards or you can find them but they're like a hundred bucks a dollar a hundred dollars on the shelf yeah nowadays yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, back when it, back when i was finding them you know when i first got into it it was you 30, know, 30 bucks, bucks 35, you know, 30 or 35 bucks at a there was a binnie's on 59th avenue in naperville that mm. plainfield naperville that always had on the shelves so i used to pick it up there all the time so what's your favorite pour you've ever had that's not blonde brothers Hmm. Cause I don't want to make it too easy on you. Hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't have said Blonde Brothers. That's well, that's good. Um, At least now you wouldn't. Have I feel it. like I would need to think on that and categorize it by spirit category, but <laughs> but there's no time for that. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, I think I, just the first thing that comes to mind for me would be uh, an Old Crow Rye from the early '40s, which just it was phenomenal to begin with, mm-hmm. and then secondly, just the historical aspect of it, and getting to taste something that was, you know, distilled before Hitler invaded Poland. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's like think, putting it into terms like that. Uh, Liquid history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and got to try a White Horse um, blended Scotch whiskey. From I know you're the a big late dusty guy from last time I was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they appear from time to time. So <laughs> 
you gotta drink them. But that, that's that's what came to mind for me. I don't know. I I like you know I really gravitate towards high proof stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, the Stag's always been a consistent pour for me. Um, you know, a lot of the some of the, the older smooth ambler stuff uh, got into early, but I, I don't know if I could tell you what my favorite pour is. Um, I don't know. It'd be tough. But nowadays, I much prefer something real high proof. That's what most people after you get into it for a yeah. while. Uh, so get more into what you all do here. Uh, what's your official title with Blown Brothers? I know it's an <laughs> owner, obviously, but what do you do for the most part? Yeah, we don't. I mean, we have titles on our business cards. It's and like on an our, office space. On what our, would you say you do here? <laughs> what would you say you do here, exactly? Um, we have titles on our business cards, on our LLC document. Um, I, we don't really like titles that much because, you know, we like everybody here to do a little bit of everything. And really, I guess, at the beginning, Mike and I both did everything. We, you know, it was the two of us, right when we started, it was the two of us and our two wives. And the four of us did everything. We were both distilling, we're both bartending. Shitty we're both bartenders. Working the retail <laughs> counter. Yeah, we were horrible bartenders. Um, and then, obviously, four of us couldn't. We, we thought we we thought for sure I'd be like, oh, yeah, a year or two, the four of us can pull this off. And fast forward a year and a half later, and we had 12 employees or something like that. But I now, you know, we've kind of drifted. I, I really don't even touch the still anymore, really. I still get involved with the product, you know, before it gets bottled. We mm-hmm. both obviously try stuff and agree on stuff. But I mostly oversee all the business side of stuff now. I went and got an MBA years ago, so I get stuck doing all the all the paperwork and all the marketing distribution sales all the business crap Mm. you know and uh it's not as fun as the distilling but somebody's got to do it yeah um mike obviously oversees all the production and um you know he's our he's our chief distiller we don't really use the term master distiller but he's our chief distiller so when did how did you learn how to distill did you take classes or just read up on it or Oh, all of that stuff, really, right? So anywhere from books to just making friends in the industry, mm-hmm. people to bounce questions off of to reading, you know, scholarly papers from, you know, the 1940s. I mean, there's there's so much information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy to come by, but once you find it, um, you can weave something together, right? And really, it's just kind of hands-on. You, you learn as you go, and you're always trying to tweak and make things better. But, um, yeah, no one source, really. I think okay. that's where you can get into trouble if you learn from one one source, one book, one person. Uh, you're just going to be replicating what they do. So um, we've kind of tried to pull from as many sources as we can and do what makes sense for us. So is there something you've learned since you started that <laughs> sort of along the, line, along the ways that have helped you become better at what you do? Um, really, you learn something new every day, right? Yeah. Every product you taste, everything. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't think of anything specifically. It's, I, I guess one of the most interesting things is every little tweak you make along the way has an impact for better or worse. And the, uh, the shitty thing about it is you have to wait, you know, four plus years <laughs> yeah. before you can see what it is. So our bourbon, our own bourbon here that we released this past May was the culmination of nearly four years of waiting um but that was our first attempt and we're pretty happy with our first attempt but we're also excited to see where it's going to go again because of all the tweaks we've made along Mm -hmm. the way um to see how we could improve it so yeah we look back at 
the beginning when we were both, you know, trading off shifts on the still and laugh at how much we didn't know back then, you know. But the, now we're starting to pull product out of barrels, and it's, you know, it's, it's ending up being pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just the way we do things now is drastically different from before, I think. Are you amazed at uh, how how big the Notter, Notter bourbon has gotten recently, or were you just waiting for it to come? Yeah, I think I think we both know, knew how good it is. Yeah. You know, it's it's great MGP juice, um, the old fangled specifically. Um, we both knew how good it was, and you know, there have been a lot of a lot of stores and bars alike that have also realized how good it is mm-hmm. and have really gobbled it up over the course of the past several years but it wasn't until you know past three months that it all of a sudden it became widely known yeah um and it's just kind of taken off which is it's good it's also bad so we wish we had more you <laughs> yeah know? yeah it's it's bittersweet really yeah. mm-hmm. because we've never really taken the marketing stance of like oh this is the best shit in the world drink mm-hmm. this it's it's kind of we put it out there and let people discover it for themselves yeah. but it wasn't moving that quick the first two years we had yeah. it out, and until the craze happened, now it's an allocated product because we can't keep up with the demand for it. But having said that, when it's gone, it's gone. Um, that was all a stepping stone ultimately to being completely off anything sourced. Mm-hmm. So that is in the works, but uh, we still have quite a bit left. We've really always had a real kind of organic, kind of grassroots following and growth I mean we've never really like Mike said we've never really done much marketing you know the most marketing we've really done is doing some social media stuff but we've always been big proponents of letting the bottle speak for itself um, with pretty much anything we do with with MGP juice or with our juice it's you know really we, 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 we haven't really sent out bottles to a lot of competitions or to bloggers or things like that. I don't fabricate stories about it. We just, we just, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. You you like it or you don't. Some people's not, you know, some people don't like it. Some people have the old fangled and they say, I don't like it. And that's fine. You know, not everyone's going to like it. There are a few people that don't like MGP stuff. And it's interesting to me why they don't like it if they just don't like the flavor of it or if it's the actual or because it's MGP, MGP right. yeah. yeah it's probably a little bit of both just depends on some people it's funny how that's kind of come around almost full circle um, people drank a lot of MGP juice without knowing it you know back before the big Templeton Rye fiasco um, love Templeton Rye used, we used to drink a lot of Templeton Rye still still do on occasion you know it's, it's good juice and that whole you know the whole thing came out in the press and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden people started to get angry and you know talk about mgp like it was a bad word and now it's kind of come back around where people are again recognizing hey this is good juice yeah you know so it's kind of it's kind of come full circle but there's still some people hanging on to the the mgp naughty word and it's ridiculous because it's it's made by wizards we've decided <laughs> yeah. that stuff tastes good before it goes in the barrel you know it, it's yeah that's that's one of our favorite distilleries ever. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's, I mean, you can't get much better than the way they produced over the years, mm-hmm. and it's just consistently good. And it's amazing to me. Like I think I may have said to him first time I came here. I went to Smooth Ambler when they were first getting started, and the similarities between you all and Smooth Ambler, as far as your the way it's mm-hmm. sort of family and friendship, and you feel welcome when you come in. Smaller in the middle of nowhere. 
which mm-hmm. is sort of like Sweet Thing, where it's it's amazing to see the the, play, the parallels between you two. Yeah, we we've always admired those guys. John and John are great guys. They've always done a cool thing. We yeah. we fell in love with some of the Smooth Ambler products before we ever opened a distillery. So we've had a lot of people compare us to them and kind of following the same path that they followed, mm-hmm. and we love hearing that. Cause they're just super cool guys. Yeah, yeah. Now Bab had both of them on. They're both yeah. amazing guys. Yeah. Um. So. You've just started doing your own stuff. Do you look like you're going to go, not obviously not national, but you're going to expand out your distribution channels? To an extent. I mean, yeah, we, 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 we've always, I guess our whole plan has always been to be a strong regional whiskey brand. I okay. Mean, you know, we obviously have vodka and gin and all these things. We take great pride in making and we, you know, drinking cocktails and on their own regularly, but we're whiskey guys at heart. I mean, that's why we opened this. So our, our kind of, I guess our business statement or whatever you want to say has always been that we want to be a strong regional whiskey brand, um, which we're, you know, we're, we're on our way to doing by the time our old fangled Nutter bourbon supply is depleted, you know, our, our own straight bourbon is going to be about five, six years old, um, which is, was all kind of by design, you know, that we wanted to kind of just have that to get us to a point where we could age our own products we're doing it all big barrels long age time we're not taking any shortcuts so you know we've had to be real patient but uh nationwide i don't know i don't think we uh i don't think at this point we haven't made enough product to to do that right now we're turning some states away that want our bourbon you know Mm -hmm. not just the old thing but our straight bourbon some states uh right now i mean for for instance kentucky we've Mm -hmm. got a distributor out there that really wants our product in kentucky and you know we're having enough trouble keeping on the shelves up here so um we just got to keep making more and more. Yeah, so along the lines of making more, is there expansion in the plans? Yeah, it has been for years, and we finally <laughs> we finally did something about it. I know you saw our barrel room. You can't. Yeah. You can't even crawl through there. <laughs> no. Uh, no, and we we had planned to build build a warehouse out back, but um, went through a bunch of hoops. It, that didn't work out, but we did purchase or we're we're closing on a new property. Uh, in December, that's a few miles down the road. That's got a really big barn. We can we haven't mapped it all out, but store a couple thousand barrels in there. So the goal is once we close on that, we'll concrete in what we need to, and then just start cranking away. Are you all going to expand the distillery, the distilling portion, or just keep at the same pace? No, our capacity is pretty big right okay. now. And we're not we're not necessarily. I mean, eventually, yeah, yeah but right. right now the the bottleneck, so to speak, was the storage. And then we'll see. We'll see what happens we might, on the road. Next step, we might need to get some bigger fermentation tanks, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. But I mean, the for the most part, we kind of spec'd all this out and bought things, you know, knowing, well, hoping we would grow. So you know, we bought a still; it was way too big for what we needed at the beginning, mm-hmm. and you know, a boiler and all that. But um, you know, so we're right now we're okay on the production side of it. It's really, like Mike said, just the storage. Okay. It's been a problem. Are there some other products you have coming down the lines? Are we going to stick with the straight bourbon? Uh, so the straight bourbon is and has always planned to be our kind of flagship spirit. So mm-hmm. that's what we make the most of. We have uh, a straight rye whiskey that'll be coming out in the March time frame. It'll also be a it'll be a four year old product, um, minimum four year old moving forward on on any whiskey we release at that point. Um, and then we have some, I mean, we have our, like, our supplemental things, right? We have gin, and we just released an absinthe mm-hmm. that's doing um, really well. But 
Uh, we're also putting aside again, you know, our, our heritage and all this is kind of Scotch whiskey. So we've we've been bringing in some uh, malted barley from Scotland and laying down some uh, Scottish style malt whiskey casks for. Actually, those are some of our older barrels mm-hmm. now, nearly yeah. uh, five years old. Um, so we're also laying down some uh, like some weeded bourbon and high corn content mm-hmm. rye um, that we're selling to a really low proof that we're targeting leaving those in the barrel between 8 and 12 years. So doing a handful of those per year. But the straight bourbon really is kind of why we got into this. Yeah, it's kind of what we kind of hang our hat on. That's kind of... Or flagship product, I guess, if you will. Okay. When it comes to distilling, <clears throat> is there sort of like your wheelhouse? Do you like a low entry barrel proof? Or is there a your personal preference? So it depends on, I guess, the target product, right? So one of the tweaks we made along the way with our straight bourbon um, is the stuff. You're, if you tasted it... Uh, that would have been distilled to 135 proof and entered the barrel at just over 120. We have dropped all that. So um, based upon how long we're planning on aging, it has an impact on that. Mm-hmm. So we distill that to a lower proof, somewhere between 125 and 130, and we enter the barrel at about 117 now. Um, but the the other things I mentioned, like the weeded bourbon, the things we're laying down for a lot longer, we distilled those things down to as low as 116 proof, and they're going straight into the barrel without dilution. Um, but again, the lower proof is going to really shine through the longer it's going to be sitting in the barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the sweet spot I, from you know any mainstream products, knowing what they're distilled at and what they're entered at, somewhere between 110 and 118. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of why we went with 117. We're kind of splitting the difference between you know the 110s and 125s yeah. because the higher you go, you know, you get more of that wood spice, and the lower you get, some of those water soluble wood sugars. Um, so you kind of want the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. What we have been finding out though is that even in this climate, we didn't we didn't expect it, but our proof's going up in the barrel. Mm-hmm. And just about over a proof per year. That's so. actually my next question was going to be if you had a, if you'd seen any difference in the aging here, being it's not as hot, generally speaking. Yeah, as in Kentucky or te- Texas, which is probably insane for aging. And the proof increase has taken place in our. It's not climate controlled, but it's also it doesn't really fluctuate much. Our our room back there. Yeah, because it's kind of connected to the building. Yeah, so we didn't expect it to really go up back there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens at the new warehouse because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, there's no insulation. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's like an old horse barn and yeah. we're not going to control anything. So Yeah, we're uh, excited. Yeah, we want it to be an Illinois product, product it's right? It's, yeah. you know. Yeah, we're not, we're not trying to duplicate anything done in Kentucky or Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're trying to do our own thing. We want to be, you know, the, the premier Illinois bourbon, Illinois whiskey. So, you know, we're excited to move barrels over this new barn just because there's, you know, absolutely no temp control over there, and we just want the whiskey to breathe in and out of that wood. That'll definitely be interesting to see what happens when you actually get into the temperatures here and mm-hmm. can, can see how it does affect it. We, we've done our best here with our barrel room. I mean, we've capped off all the all the vents, and, you know, we do our best in the winter. We'll open up the door, you know, open up the windows, try and get some get some cold air in there. Same thing in the summer. Let the heat in there, but you know it's it's not as easy to do as if it's in you know what we're gonna do a big pole barn and 
you know, with, with open doors and windows and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're pumped to get the product over there. Yeah, that, it sounds like it's going to be really interesting to see what you can do. I saw the Abseth. What, how, do you make, how do you make that? <laughs> What's it distilled from? Uh, Angel wings, or <laughs> you could. I mean, you you can distill it from. Uh, you can distill it from any kind of neutral base. Mm-hmm. We we kind of went traditional and went uh, with a neutral grape spirit. And then the other real way to make a good absinthe is to hire a distiller who's mm-hmm. been doing absinthe R and D for twelve years, and that's his real background and passion. Yeah. And uh, you know, give him the chance to spread his wings and make something good. And that's yeah, what we happened. Got, uh, Chris Wright and ours are our uh, kind of deputy chief distiller mm-hmm. um and he's been just an absent junkie for a long time you know he's he's amazing with distilling anything but he's been uh absent nut for a long time historian so, and yeah he knows anything it, yeah. you ever want to do you know an absent episode <laughs> i mean he's your guy he knows everything about it so really we kind of let him really take the reins on that and uh he's he's done awesome for us is there any spirit that you all have made so far that you're surprised by Maybe how well it—I don't want to say turned out, but how well it's taken off as far as sales. If the, the new product, have you been surprised at how well it's taken off, or is it you expected it to do that? Well, we—I don't know that we expected. I mean, we hoped. You know, we—you know, like Mike said before. You know, it's hard to say when you when you throw that in the barrel what it's going to turn out like in four years. So we certainly hoped. We had a lot of confidence. You know, we're doing it our way. Um, had a lot of confidence that it would turn out great and we you know mike and i are very particular about you know what we're doing and what we're putting in a bottle Mm -hmm. um you know with the old fangled people have said you know oh we want single barrel picks and we sent out a bunch of those and people are wondering why we don't have more readily available and it's really just because you know if we get 10 10 barrels of our mgp juice so the old fangled we bring that in we taste through it we decide what's single barrel worthy and what's not we might get 10 in and say none of them are worthy you know and then we're going to use those to blend for our for our old fangled small batch um where a lot of people just say hey we can make quick buck on this let's just at least pick the best five and make them single barrels or you know with our founder stash the same thing we don't put any anything in a founder stash bottle unless it's amazing unless it knocks our socks off so we're very particular about it so you know we tried it and the straight bourbon and you know finally got to the point i mean we wanted to have it out what a year before i think that we actually <laughs> yeah, released yeah. it and we tried it and we're like no nah, it's just not ready yeah. we had other people come in they tasted like oh well, that's ready and we're like nah nah no nah, it's not ready so we we waited and we waited finally put it out and you know nice thing is we're it's just going to keep getting older it's not like this straight bourbon we have out now is the straight, same straight bourbon that will be out in three years from now you know we're we're holding enough back that we can keep getting that age statement higher. Okay. And actually what we just bottled today was black and white difference from the last batch. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we're at 25 minutes. So is there anything in closing you would like to say, uh, would you want to give the address to your all's location? Um, no, it's secret. It's, <laughs> I don't know, but you, my, I, my Apple maps gave it to me pretty quick. So. Gotta go down to the Amico down the street, <laughs> ask old Mr. Jenkins how to get down here. And, no. It's uh, um, Galena, Illinois. I mean, we're a town of three, four hundred people. You're not gonna not gonna miss it. I don't think it. Ninety three eighty West U.S. Highway twenty, Galena, Illinois. Or the first thing on your way into Galena from the east side. Yeah, if you're coming in from the east, first building. Do you have any events or anything coming up? 
We, we've got a big, uh, so we have a couple partners in this, but we have a big Galena Whiskey Weekend coming okay. up in January. Alright. And it is a whiskey tasting event. You've been to those. Everyone's been to these, but this one specifically, we really keep it to really the higher tier mm-hmm. whiskeys, scotch, bourbon, but it's all really, really, really good stuff. I mean, you're going to be able to go there. Last year, I mean, they were closing up bottles of BTAC bottles that were, no, I'm digging it you know, finished. I mean, mm-hmm. you can go there and try all the BTAC stuff. Usually there's, you know, Pappy bottles. There's all kinds four of stuff there to try. Yeah, four roses anniversary. Yeah, four roses put this out there. <laughs> you yeah. don't be any empty now. No, it, it's it's the people who have come before that are into bourbon have said, like, what is happening here? Because there's so many high-end bottles that you'll never get a chance to taste yeah. that are just there for you to taste over and over again. What's the cost for it? Uh, there are a couple different tiers in the price. Uh, I think it's... I think it's $95 a head. Yeah. Everybody gets a guaranteed pour of Pappy 15, and then all these special bottles are widely available on the tables. It's a heavy hors d'oeuvres, and, uh, there are two <clears throat> heavy hors d'oeuvres. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's good <laughs> uh, there are going to be two of them this year. Okay. Um, one earlier in the afternoon, one an afternoon, and then uh, evening one. We're actually going to be doing, a, we haven't released it yet. In the next probably week, we'll have it out on our social media. But the night before, because that event's on a Saturday, on that Friday night before, we're going to be doing a very small um, event here at the distillery, which uh, the specifics will come out. But mm-hmm. it's going to be probably a hot ticket item. It's going to be a high-end ticket <laughs> item, but it's going to be close to about 20 people and um, first, first come, first serve, and we'll be doing some some tasting here at the distillery. Cool, that's great. All right, well, I appreciate you all coming on, and uh, I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. Yeah, man, thanks for uh, coming out. Thank you.